That is really weird, man. <laughs> uh, turn with me to 2 Corinthians in the New Testament. It follows 1 Corinthians, and it's one of uh, Paul's longer letters. When you get to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, say glory. glory. Oh, some of you are really good. Fantastic. Uh, some of you front load. Now, now, I, Paul, <laughs> appeal to you. So this is a letter to one of his churches, and he's the senior pastor. So I appeal to you with the gentleness and the kindness of Christ, though I realize you think that I am timid in person and bold only when I write from far away. Well, I am begging you now so that you... When I come to you, I won't have to be bold with those who think we act from human motives. It, it is fascinating that Paul, who's given birth to this church, and now it's flourishing, now has to defend his ministry and credibility amongst the church that he gave birth to. I mean, it's like parents dealing with a teenager. <laughs> you know, I gave birth to you, and I put the food on the table, I've looked after you, and you've got to defend your role to actually have some direction and guidance. Funny how people are, isn't it? We humans, we are human, and we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. And after you have become fully obedient, we will punish everyone who remains disobedient. Look at the obvious facts. Those who say that they belong to Christ must recognize that we belong to Christ as much as they do. I may seem to be boasting too much about the authority God has given to us in the Lord, but our authority builds you up. It does not tear you down. So I will not be ashamed of using my authority. He's setting himself up to say, I'm going to say a few things to you, you need to listen. I'm not trying to frighten you by my letters. For some say, Paul's letters are demanding and forceful. But, you know, he's weak in person and his speeches are worthless. Those people should realise that our actions when we arrive in person will be forceful as much as we say in our letters from far away. Oh, don't worry. We wouldn't dare say that we are as wonderful as other men who tell how important they are, but they are only comparing themselves with each other, using themselves as a standard of measurement. How ignorant. The NLT puts it. How stupid uh, the message puts it. So it's going to begin a short series on uh, just some really key ideas, you know, that I have found as a Christian have been real game changers for my life in the way that I do things. Now, uh, that, you know, if I was to ask you, what are the top 10 little uh, jewels, uh, rules, insights, revelation God's given you, I'm sure, you know, you would have a different list than I would. But one of the things I've worked out that's really, really healthy for me is this particular one here, is that wisdom, biblical wisdom, according to Paul, 
means that we don't compare ourselves to other people. Okay? The moment we compare ourselves to someone else, the Bible says that we are being ignorant, stupid. It's not smart. So this is the way that the NET puts it. For we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some others of, of those who recommend themselves. Do you know that our whole world that we live in is all about comparison? Everything, every advertisement on the TV, every time you Facebook, every time social media is all about comparison. You know, you've got whiter teeth, I've got a better latte, I have a better... It's all about comparison. Measuring yourself with others. Well, they measure themselves by themselves and they compare themselves with themselves. They are without understanding. The NET puts it a little bit more politely, doesn't it? Next slide. Thank you. Well, just to give you a little bit of context, Second Corinthians is a letter written to the church that the Apostle Paul has planted in uh, modern Greece today. You can actually go to Corinth today and you can actually go to the Agora. You can actually see signs that actually the Apostle Paul would have actually been there. You could touch the history. I love doing that. You can actually touch the history. It's no longer just words. It's no longer something that a guy from the front's just telling you. It happened. It's real. It's history. And the book is basically broken up into three major portions. First one, you've got Paul identifying the principles of ministry and of his uh, commitment to those principles. Some real jewels in there. For we know that, uh, you know, everybody in Christ is born again and all the old things have passed away and we're a brand new creation. Great personal commitment to new life in Jesus. You know, every person here today, you have the ability to say, I believe what the Bible teaches. All the old stuff can go and I can start afresh and live as a brand new creation in Christ. That's part of that. Then he moves on to this middle section we starts to talk a little bit about the practice, what he does. You know, I don't run aimlessly. I keep the rules. I don't box against shadows. And, you know, it talks about conduct. And, of course, as he's talking about his commitment, he's wanting the church he's given birth to to say, oh, yeah, maybe we should do the same thing. You understand? It, it, sometimes people are, people are saying, don't do what I do, but do what I say. You know how that works? You know, you know, the man puffing on his cigarette saying to his kids, whatever you do, you should never do drugs, you know. It, 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 Paul's actually doing it the other way around here. He's actually saying, this is what I do. Maybe you should emulate my example, copy me. Cop- copy me, sorry. And then this last section of which we're just beginning to move into in chapter 10 is about him developing his, per- his personal credentials. It, it's It's really... I don't know why it is. Jesus highlighted and says a prophet is without honor in his own township, isn't it? You know, I, I, a number of years ago, because of where I was, I was the principal of our state Bible college here. I found it from the ground up. I have an earned bachelor's degree. I have an earned master's degree. I have an earned doctorate degree. I wrote the child protection policy for our state, interfacing with the national and stuff like this. And at times, like, I'm invisible. And I've got to say, here, here are my credentials. I, I actually know a little about this. 
we have interesting family parties at times. I call them rally bashes. Do you, who likes rally bashes? Uh, a few, there are a few people. I, I tend to endure them. And uh, our particular extended relatives have uh, strong opinions about everything. And I've been in the room so many times where they're arguing politics. I've actually ran three political campaigns, federal and state. I, I, I know a little bit about politics, and yet the last person in the room that's ever asked anything about politics is you know, me. People are funny, isn't it? And Paul's got to say to his own church, this is who I am. This is what I know. This is how I got my revelation in order that he might develop a little bit more leverage over his, uh, over the church than what some of the other voices are. But a part of that, he comes down to this text, which is, we're not going to boast ourselves. We're not going to blow our trumpets here. What we're going to do is we're just going to tell you who we are in Christ. And anybody who measures themselves against something else is being foolish or unwise. So there's your context. Everybody cool? I'm preaching from the Bible. It's in the Bible. You know where we come from? Fantastic. Next slide. Okay. This is the... I believe he's the fourth richest man in the world now. He's slipped down a notch now. His name is Warren Faye. And uh, he is worth... He's actually lost 500 million between December and January now. So his net worth is now only 89.4 billion dollars. Billion dollars. Now, what I'm actually trying to do is actually really funny. But in the Western world, there's this assumption, if you've got lots of money, you've got authority. That's the assumption, isn't it? This man's really rich, so he must know some stuff. You know, all this means really bright, where's the white coat? But this is something which I says, which I think is very wise, and actually pulls right back in what Paul's saying. He says this. The big question about how people... Blah, 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 blah. Uh, someone recently paid him, paid Warren Buffet $5 million for an hour of his time. So we're not going to get an hour of his time, but we're going to get something of his advice. Okay? But it doesn't cost you $5 million. Ka-ching, ka-ching the power of the prophet Google. The big question about how people behave is whether they've got an inner scorecard. You know, where you're measuring? Do you have it in here? Or is the scorecard the people around you, the size of your job, your car, you know, whatever your status might be, whether you've got an iPhone 6 or a Galaxy 10, it's all those things. Status anxiety, always measuring, always measuring, always measuring. Well, next slide. Thank you. So the Bible says, don't be stupid. Stop comparing. Turn to your neighbor and say to them, you're older than I am. (laughs) Like that's a good thing. (laughs) Turn to your other neighbor and say, you're smaller than I am. Like it's a good thing. Or you could turn to your neighbor and you could say, you're taller than I am. <laughs> but you know, that's, that's constantly in play. If we're honest, come on, no, 
No one looking around because I'm looking at you. If we're honest, you walk into the room and you're comparing yourself with other people. I've got a bigger bike. I've got four exhaust pipes. (laughs) Mine's louder. (laughs) Mine burns. My tires are border, which border is that a word? You know, I only do, only fall back into drugs and alcohol once a week. I'm better than the others. You get the game, always measuring ourselves. And the Bible says it's really unwise to measure yourself by others. Okay? So I want to set you all free. Throw away the measuring tapes. Throw them away. You're beautiful. You're amazing. You're intelligent. You are a son. You are a daughter of the most high God. You are unique. Sorry, unique. You, you are unique like everybody else. <laughs> but you are a unique creation. And you know what? God thought you were special enough that he died for you. That you could be here today to hear the the gospel, the good news. How, how good are you? How good are you? Next slide. So, because here's, here's one of the problems of creating status anxiety or measuring with others. When we measure other situations and say, I'd just like to be that. Or if I could just have that. Or if I could have that holiday. Or if I had that marriage. Or if I had this. We are usually, nine times out of ten, we are in an illusion. What we think is better is sometimes not better at all. You know, if only this had happened or if that had happened. You know, one might remember that, you know, the most watched television event of the last decade was the royal wedding between Princess Diana and the other fella. And, uh, I mean, it was a nice dress. She had the cart. She had the horses. She had the soldiers. If you probably would have stopped, let's be honest, if you probably would have stopped and asked a lot of girls, would you have liked to have been the princess? Uh, some would say, well, if you can change the fella. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe I would have been okay with the deal. But what looks like perfection actually was incredibly busted and broken. Sadly. Sadly. You know, and we could go on over and over again. You know, I know a man who, you know, had a workers' compensation case and it didn't, and it went hard yards, three years, court cases, all the rest, got $550,000 payout. That's what he wanted. And, you know, two years later, he'd spend it on cocaine. All on cocaine. You, so it's really not smart to be thinking, I want that because it looks good. I, I've had people say to me, Oh, you know, I've looked at this married couple and they, they're just perfect. I'd love, you know, if only our relationship was as good as that. And I'm thinking, well, I've just had them in my counseling room, you know. <laughs> you do not know what you wish for. Are you, are you hearing me? Do you understand what I'm saying? When we think it's better, maybe it's not. The other day, I was walking down the road and I saw some grass 
that was dead and dry and looking really untired. And on the other side of the pass was this really green grass. You know what was green? It was fake. Uh Uh-huh. Everybody go, hmm. If it looks perfect, it's probably fake. If it looks perfect, it's probably fake. I better get into preaching. But uh, in my, uh, my wife and I, this is our home church. And we served in this church just as a young couple, uh, long hair, uh, flares, muscles. Uh, I had them. I did. I did. And I used to play saxophone and clarinet at the stage, and my wife used to play the flute. So we were the wind section, and uh, we, uh, we were uh, ran connect groups. I was the children's church pastor in this church. Uh, I was the social deacon, used to run the social affairs and stuff. And we, we believe God called us to go to Bible college for three years. So we went to college. And even though I was given some very attractive offers at our state Bible college, full-time jobs at some of the largest churches in, in Australia at that time, including there was this new guy called Brian Houston that was starting a church up at uh, Balkan Hills. And I was asked whether I should go along and join the team. And I prayed about it. I had no witness to do that. I felt God say, go back to your home church and serve in your home church. And that's weird. Oh, thank you for clapping, but it's weird because most people never do that. You, you know, the thought of going back to your Nazareth doesn't seem to make any sense, particularly when you're turning down paid jobs. Monique and I lived for the first six months in a six-foot by 12-foot wooden caravan with two cats and two dogs. My wife milked goats to earn a bit of part-time money. And I got a job running the doctor's surgery up at Rolling Stone part-time. And we came and we served this church for free. The pastor thought, strange people. But we said, we'll do our... And over a period of time, uh, the opportunity came up and Pastor John says, what a bit of busted church down at Rockingham. Go down and pastor that church for me. I says, yes, only if you want me to. And I served Pastor John Warwick for 25, 30 years of my life. Even though I've done other things, I never broke that relationship. He was always my pastor, always my spiritual father. So I only went away at his request, and I would report to him weekly. I had keys for the church 10 years after I'd even left the church because of this relationship. Anyway, I'm down in Rockingham. And I've taken over this church. We, we hire a hall. And the uh, first Sunday, there was about 70 people there. Oh, this might not be too hard. Second Sunday, there was about 25 people there. So they checked out the new guy. He was a bit young and green. But that service, I remember it to this day, small hall, hall this lady, quite attractive, probably 35 or whatever, my wife will start to shiver now and shake because she knows this lady. You remember Sue, don't you? Yeah. yeah. She came in with her three daughters. And it was a sign. I should have picked it up. They all were wearing beautiful, girly, floral dresses. The same dress. So four of them 
all wearing exactly the same floral dress. And I sat at the back and I smiled and I looked perfect. If it looks perfect, it's probably fake. So can you set set yourself free from expectations? Because better is not best. Next slide. Uh, Life is not equal. That's the other thing. Some people are here, they've overcome amazing things to be here today. Amen? You know, some people had had nothing to overcome and they can't even be bothered to get here. Life is not equal. You know, so when you're looking at how people are going in the race, understand some people got the handicap, they got to play off the ladies' tee, and other people didn't get to hit off from the men's tee, and others got left right behind. So it doesn't matter where you start, but it does matter where you finish. And so life is not equal. I wish it was. I wish life was fair, but it's not fair. And so if you've overcome some amazing things to be here and you're still vertical and you've still got thanksgiving and gratitude in your heart for God, God bless you, man. Because a lot of other people have not had to overcome anything at all and they whinge and they complain. and they're, You hear the thing? You've got to Understand, life is not equal. We actually have to just deal with the cards that we are dealt with by life. Uh, next slide. Caring is not comparing. And yet so often that's what we do. We're looking at other people. And so those who measure themselves with themselves is not wise, Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says, I could get very depressed and down, and cynical if I start comparing myself with other people. You know, I can look at other people I think have done less study, they're less ethical. You hear the language, always the language of comparison, isn't it? And yet they've got bigger churches, bigger budgets, easier lives. You know what that does to me? Puts me in a very bad space. Okay? So here's, here's the thing. Caring is not comparing. We should always only do... The one thing, the internal, the, the internal, uh, the internal battle is that the only competition in life is, can you be a better you tomorrow? That's the only game in town. You can't be a better Mike. You can't be a worse Mike. But can you be a better you? Can you be a worse you? Oh, come on. <laughs> can you be a worse version of you? Yes? I actually don't have to try to do that. I'm actually really good at being a very poor version of me. But if that's the race, you know, if running in your own lane is all about running in your lane, not worrying about the person this side of you or the person seeing that side of you, you know, the judgmentalism goes, the pressure goes, the anxiety goes. The only question is, can you do it better tomorrow? Can you be kinder tomorrow than what you are today? Mm. Can you be nastier? Can you be that's the only, so that's the journey. That's the internal journey. The only scorecard you should have is the one that God's given you, and you should strive to let Christ change you. And as you behold him from face to face, Second Corinthians three verse eighteen, as you come into the presence of God 
and you behold him presence to presence, face to face. Then you are lifted from one level of glory, one standard, one level. You go through to another level and you know more and you're changed and you're transformed. And I don't do this, but it's Alika, Alika, you. This morning as I was worshipping God, I saw this picture of a rosebud, tight and green, all locked in on itself. And then the sun coming over it. And as the sun began to warm, the, the, the green and the constriction just began to fall away. And out came this rose. And it's like there's a flourish and another flourish and another flourish and another flourish. And this brilliant colour and this perfume came out. And, you know... Just as you let God, as you learn about God, you know, there's going to be freedom. There's going to be color. There's going to be some wonderful, wonderful things. So caring is not comparing, is it? Oh, she got one and I didn't. Oh, let me pray. Yea, the Lord says, Rainer. (laughs) I could have some fun, couldn't I? I could be really naughty. (laughs) Do it, do it. No, caring is, is not comparing. Last, next slide. Okay. So here, this is a great shot of a Navy SEAL doing an obstacle course. Now, in the armed forces, they will put you through grueling, absolutely grueling things, particularly if you want to be an elite soldier. Now, as a Christian, you are a son, you are a part of the bride, you're part of the temple of God. But one of the other metaphors that's used to describe the Christian life right now is that you're a soldier. Do you know you're in a battle? Do you know that you're in active warfare right now? That there is a devil going around who will throw arrows at you, throw bundies, he'll try and take you out. Do you know that? There's someone out there who really doesn't like you. He's trying to destroy you. And so as soldiers, we can be buck privates. We can be raw volunteers. You know, we can be good with our broomsticks and our pitchforks. Or you could actually become a Green Beret, a Navy SEAL. You can be someone that puts fear. You can become a part of a Delta 10 force for Jesus Christ. You know, you can become part of that elite commando squad that can go into the brothels and see them be shut down, into the prisons and see God do a miracle and stuff. You know, you can be, you can be a buck soldier or you can actually do some training. But the way you do your training is that you have to overcome Stuff you don't like. <laughs> Obstacles. And often there's some person there who's not being very kind to you. He's not saying, oh, come on, you're looking a bit tired. Would you like me to get you a coffee? You know, can I give you a little bit of a back rub? You've usually got there yelling, come on, you But, you know, you know the deal. But this is very good for me because whilst I'm preaching this from the text now, God helped me when, my, when I first got saved and gave me a, a dream, a very vivid dream. God does speak to me in dreams. And in this dream, I was on this obstacle course and I was doing what I thought I could do. And there was one of those big wars you had to like, you know, almost literally throw yourself over. And I went for this wall and I hit the wall and I fell back. Well, that's not fun. So I went back again. I don't give up quickly. I'm either committed or stubborn or stupid. You can figure it out. <laughs> So I had another go at it, boom, and again I fell down. 
And I did this, you know, about four or five times, and now I'm not very happy. So I sat down at the base of this obstacle course, sulking. You would never do this. I I am now in full-on self-pity, thinking, this is not fair. God, why are you picking on me? Can't you pick on Pastor Karen, you know? You know, pick on me all the time, you know. So I'm sitting there, and then, to make it worse, I look to one side, and it's like, along this obstacle course, right next to it, there was another obstacle course. And this other obstacle course had on it a man who ended up becoming the state president of our movement for a while, and he's running this obstacle course. But this obstacle course, he had little hurdles like this. And all he had to do was step over them. And he's just going for a walk. <laughs> and so I move from self-pity to absolute rage. <laughs> no, this, this is really not fair. I know, uh, you know, the comparison only made it harder. It only made it more difficult. And so then the Holy Spirit said to me, you know, I'd love to say it's always nice, but it was one of those uncomfortable moments. Mike, this obstacle course I have perfectly designed for you. Don't you worry about him. That's his walk. This is your walk. So I got up, dusted myself over, ran at the wall again in my dream, and I got over it. Interesting. So, great key. You know, you you might have all sorts of challenges. You might have been born with deficiencies. I suffer from dyslexia. You know what DNA is, don't you? National Dyslexia Association. I've been born with a terrible sense of humor. Did you hear about the shop that burnt, the candle shop that burnt down? Yeah, all the firemen just stood around and sang happy birthday. (laughs) You should not be laughing. That's not good. (laughs) Next slide. What's important in life is the internal, not the external. Think about that. What is really absolutely the core of what we call life is inside you, not outside you. If you're unhappy now, me putting you in a five-star hotel with a spa and a pool won't make you happy. And if it does, it won't last. won't last. The things that actually make life worth anything, joy, that's internal. Love, that's internal. Peace, that's internal. It's internal. And so give up looking at the externals and focus on the internals because the internals will ultimately affect the eternals. If you get your internals right, your eternal will be taken care of by the love and mercy of God. Last slide. Dyslexia can be handy at times, which I do suffer from. So the text we have been quoting is 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. So if you had dyslexia, though, you might have accidentally looked up 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, which says, For when I'm weak, then I am strong. For when I am weak, then I am 
Okay, we're going to work this one a little bit harder. I've got a few minutes. When we are weak, then? When you are weak, then? Okay. Very simple, but you've you got to understand why. You've got to understand the why here. Because when I'm weak, I give up trying to do it myself. When I get weak and I'm conscious of my weakness, then I stop trying to fix it. I stop trying to make it happen. I give up. I literally give up. And then, you see, this is why it makes me strong. Then I go to Jesus and say, God, what do you want me to do? And that's how I become strong. When I give up doing it my way and I start saying, God, now I'm going to do it your way, that's how Paul can say, when I am weak, then I am. Well done. Fantastic. Yeah. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. Uh, we'll have the uh, band up, please. Uh, thank you. They do a great job. We appreciate it. Can you just stand in the presence of the Lord? This really is awesome to have you in the house today. And When you ask people, do you believe in the afterlife, most people still say they believe in the afterlife. Uh, then it goes into very strange areas very quickly. You know, there's an energy, you know, perhaps I'm going to be reincarnated, you know. How do you know any of this? Well, you know, it says, well, you know, that's what we think. That You know, at the end of the day, there's a lot of assumptions. No, not one of us here today, I hope, would be dumb enough to get on an aeroplane and fly to a foreign country, not knowing that there's a border control. And when you get to the edge of the border, someone's going to ask you, do you have an identity? Do you have a passport? Do you have a visa? Anybody just do that? I'll just take a risk, get on a plane and go to another country and see if they'll let me in. We're probably smarter than that. And yet there are people who are going to live their whole life and never ask, what happens when these eyes close? And they open again, and I'm at border control for heaven. What am I going to say? What about your passport? What's in your passport? Well, the good news is, you can get a passport to heaven. <laughs> it's actually less than an Australian passport. It's actually much cheaper. Well, cheap may not be the right thing, because it actually costs God the life of his own son. So it's not cheap, but it's free. It's free. But you do have to apply for it. You do actually have to apply for your passport to heaven. And that comes about by you placing your faith, your belief, your confidence in a loving God who sent his son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty and for the cost of your admission into heaven. And you know the wonderful thing about when you open up that passport, it won't have your photo there going to have Jesus' photo there. <laughs> Fantastic. It'll be Jesus. It says, oh, I know who you are. Come in. You've been made in the image of my dear son. Come right in and enjoy that which I've planned for you from the beginning of time. You know, we, we have an opportunity to add a bit to our conformity to God's image here every time we grow a bit we get a little bit closer to Jesus 
we can become more loving. But in the last moment, in the twinkling of an eye, in the blink, in the blink, the blink of an eye, what's left undone, God does. And we are transfigured into his likeness. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? So, Father, we thank you for the gift of eternal life. And Lord, I pray that you would help every one of us here today to throw away the tape measures. Lord, I'm not too fat. I'm not too thin. I'm not too tall. I'm not too short. I'm not too dumb. Lord, we can go on and on and on. Lord, I am who you've made me, and my only goal for this life is to allow you to change me as I uh, yield to you and not be squeezed by this world into its measuring and competition and the ladder of success, the ladder, whatever the ladder might be, all those status things. We're not going to be pushed into that. But Lord, we're going to renew our mind. Lord, we're going to download that life hack. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. It's not smart to be measuring ourselves with others. Well, it's just stupid. So help us, Lord, just to measure ourselves with your will and purpose because we know that all things work together for good to those who love you and accord according to your purpose in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you. If you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your personal saviour, can you come out the front and have a chat with me at the end? I'd love to shake your hand.